I'd be a good baseball player if I played in Houston, maybe. So that's been the big scandal lately, if you've been following. But people have to cheat in order to do well at this thing. And we cheat a lot in the game of life, don't we? And we use some of these, the language, you know, because catching a ball is very difficult in baseball, too. So we'll say, um, you, you dropped the ball that time. Or we'll say, you know, a guy approaches some girl and he has an encounter and then he walks away and says, I think I just struck out. Right? We use those, that language. And because it's true with us in life, isn't it? I mean, we strike out all the time. It's really hard to do it right. I'm comforted because the best baseball players bat about 300. That's not really very good. And that's about how life can be. I find myself thinking thoughts that I don't want to think and I can't get them out of my mind. You ever have that happen? And I also find that I will, I will be with somebody and I'll say, I know this time when I'm with this person, I don't want to go down this negative path. And sure enough, we get in that conversation. And I just told myself I wasn't going to do that. And every week I'm preparing this sermon and I'm always worried that I'm going to get everything done on time. And I always do. And yet I always worry it through. Do you have problems like that too? Or am I the only one? If you do, you're in the right place because we're going to talk about that today. As we continue on, we're going to be looking at the last part of Romans 7. And we're in a series on Paul's long letter or, le or epistle to the Romans. And as he's writing this letter, we're calling this the power of the gospel. The gospel is God's good news that if by faith we come into a relationship with him, we can live with him and have his guidance here on earth and live with him forever in heaven. That's exciting, but it's, it's hard too. It's not as easy as it looks on the surface. Now next, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Romans 8, and we're going to see that this expands, and it gets pretty exciting to see the power that God does give in our lives. But today, we're going to look at the propensity that we have to do evil, even though we desire to do good. Why is that? Why is that still happening? So we'll talk about that today. Next week, um, we're going to have a guest speaker. Um, I'll tell you about that, but first... The week after that, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So did I tell you we're going to have a guest speaker next week? We are. His name is Larry Adams, and I met him while I was sitting at a table at the Pastors Couples Conference up at Hume Lake. And we've met several times now, become friends. Um, he's a really interesting guy. He started a church in 1984, just like we started our church. But his church grew very large and started several other churches. He, his church is called Golden Hills Community Church. It's located in the Brentwood community of the San Francisco Bay Area. Really down to earth, really nice guy. He is since retired and he's a consultant. So I said, Larry, would you ever think about coming out and speaking at our church? He said, I would be delighted to do that. And so he's going to be here next week. So come and hear him. And I've heard him speak before. He's a, he's a very good communicator. I think we'll have a good time. I'm sure we'll have a good time. So come to hear him next week. But today, we're going to look at this, kind of the downside of what we've been talking about. We have this power, but we have trouble sustaining this power. We want to do right, but we still tend to do wrong. What's going on? Let me read this to you from Paul's own lips in Romans chapter 7, verses um, 7 through 25. Paul says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. 
I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not want to do, I do not do what I, what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Pretty cheerful stuff, huh? Now, what we're really looking at, the theme here, is this relationship between the law and sin. So that's what we're really talking about. So that's going to be our theme of the law and sin as we talk about this. First thing he says is that the law introduces us to sin. The law introduces us to sin in verses 7 through 9, or 7 through 12. Now to start off with, we, we back up and we look at what he's been saying. What Paul has been saying up to this point is that we are now dead to the sin. We're dead to the law and we're alive to Christ. Good news. Well, if that's true, and this is the problem he says, so what shall we say then? Is the law bad then? Is the law related to sin? Are we saying that the law is sinful? Now, see, he's writing to people who are primarily the leadership of Rome are primarily people who have converted from Judaism. So they're Jewish Christians. Got that? But it's the same question that we might ask. Have you ever thought that, reading Paul, have you ever thought that Paul is saying the law is bad, the Mosaic law is bad, law in general is bad, it's evil? Have you ever kind of got that perspective from him? I have. I've kind of wondered, is that where he's going with this? What's he saying here? And so Paul anticipates that, and he answers the question emphatically. He says, by no means, which is absolutely not. No way. That is not possibly true. Why isn't it? And he gives a pretty succinct answer. He says, because the law showed him what sin was. The law identified to him what a sin is. If it hadn't been for the law, how would he know that he was sinning? It explained it to him. So recently, we've had this thing called the coronavirus. 
And somebody was explaining it to me that some Mexicans had gone over to uh, and shared their, their drinks over there. Who was that? Was that you, Barry? I never, that was a very profound thought. I never, they brought Corona over to China. That's not what happened. The coronavirus, however, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, some of you are getting kind of a little late on that. They didn't get that right away, Barry, but uh, it took me, it took me about a half hour afterwards. Um, but, but this coronavirus is a scary deal. But the top thing about this, there was a guy who diagnosed it. Sadly enough, he passed away. I mean, this is a serious deal. But did he cause that coronavirus? I mean, before he said there was a coronavirus, we didn't know there was a coronavirus. So was he the cause? No, he wasn't the cause. He diagnosed it. We know there's a coronavirus because he diagnosed it for us. But he didn't bring it about. The law is like a doctor. The law diagnosed the problem. The law diagnosed the disease. You've got a disease. It's called sin. The doctor wasn't the cause of it. You are the cause of it. Sin is the cause of it. That's the disease you have. But the law points it out to you and makes it clear to you. Make sense? Now, he goes further. He wants to explain this a little bit more deeply. So he says, let's take an example of a certain thing that people struggle with. Let's talk about coveting. That's the 10th of the 10 commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. It seems like it's just sort of random. But I think there's more to this than randomness. Because if you think about it, to covet is to desire anything that you shouldn't desire. It's the gateway really to all sin. So it's sort of a general statement. Yeah, you know, I, this is coveting. And what he says is interesting. He says, I naturally covet. Basically, if you tell me not to covet, I covet, and I covet all the more. And it just seems to be the way I am. And it takes us back, um, it, really several of these passages, the whole idea of sin takes us back to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It's really the sin of Adam. It's really the sin of the way you were born. It's original sin. If it wasn't Adam, we would have sinned. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. We would have done the same thing because we're imperfect beings. God has made us in his image, but we're not the perfect God. And we have this part of us that goes down the wrong path. And so we have a problem right from the way. And, and he says later, last week, he said in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, he says that our sinful passions are aroused by the law. The law actually kind of moves us to do the wrong thing. You say, well... I kind of get it, but I'm not for sure. Well, think about it this way. Remember Eve in the garden. What did the serpent tell her? Not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what did she do? She did exactly what he told her not to do. Now, flash forward thousands of years to your little child or little child you know. Little two-year-old. And you say, don't touch that. And without even thinking, it's as if nobody had to tell them. It's like it's just there's no inner compulsion. They just touch it. Don't touch that. They touch it. That's original sin. It's almost like you just can't help yourself. And as we get older, that problem persists. So, boy, it's been beautiful out, hasn't it, lately? I mean, this is one of my favorite times of year. And all the blossoms are coming out. It is gorgeous. Who would want to be anyplace else but Oakdale these days? It's so pretty and so nice. Um... Anybody put a flower bed out this week? Put out some flowers. You're getting near that time of year, springtime. Pretty soon people are going to start putting out flowers. If you put out your flowers, 
don't put a sign saying don't pick them. Don't pick the flowers. They're going to disappear. Isn't that weird how we, people just naturally, there's this inner temptation that we do the opposite of what we're told to do. So Paul says, you tell me not to covet. Now I know what my sin is and I still want it. I want to do it. I go out and I do it. Crazy, but it's just the way I am. And it gets control over me. And as time goes on, I will actually die. I will actually die because I can't control this coveting in my life. And so this commandment that proves, that promises life, if I do it, if I follow the law, I live, is going to produce death in me because I can't do it. I will always, always fail in this regard. And Paul says it's not the law that's bad. He says, in fact, the law is good. He says the law is holy. It comes from God. It's set apart. The commandment not to covet is holy. It's set apart from God. These are good things. They are right things. It's just that we can't do them on our own. And we'll see that obviously we can't do them before we know Christ, but there's problems that we have even after we come to know Christ. This is a struggle that we have in our lives. Um, so, so we've got a struggle here. We've got, we've got a problem here. And, and how do you understand? Here's another way. I'm going to give you one more way to understand this. Um, several months ago, I had an MRI on my, on my shoulder, on my left shoulder. And they discovered I had a torn labrum. I did not have a torn labrum before I had that MRI. They took x-rays and they found nothing. Doctors checked it and they found nothing. But that stupid MRI, once they put that on me, now I have... Now I have a torn labrum, and I'm going to probably have to have surgery. All because of that machine. Let's throw those things out, right? Doesn't that seem ridiculous? But that's precisely what Paul is saying. You see, I had symptoms for years. The symptoms were there. It was torn. I just didn't know it. You were born in sin, and you may not recognize it, but there are symptoms, and other people around you see those symptoms all your life, and then the law comes, and it's the MRI that exposes the fact that you are a person of sin. And that's what the Bible says. So we're getting off to a real cheerful start here. So now that you all know that you're all messed up, and so am I. We're going to talk about sin some more. We're going to talk about sin that dwells within us in verses 13 through 20. Now, Paul starts off with a good question, one that we might ask is, if the law is good, then are we saying that a good law, that, that something good is, is giving birth to sin? Is the law, the, now law is the problem then. Law has caused a problem. Law is giving birth to sin. And Paul says, no. No, 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 no. You're not getting it. That's not at all what I'm saying. He said the law uses, the sin uses the law. It's the other way around. It's like, it's like, like the law is an instrument that sin uses for execution. You can use whatever you want to kill somebody. The, you know, you can pick up something. You can take a gun and shoot somebody. A gun in and of itself can be a lot of fun on the firing range, but if you use it to kill somebody, it's not so good. The law can be very good. It shoots and it hits right on the target and it shows you what you're supposed to do. But if it comes into the hands of sin, you're in trouble. And sin has taken the law and it's distorted it and used it in the wrong way. So he says the problem really is sin. 
And he gets to the heart of it in verse 14. And he says that we know the law itself is spiritual, right? The law actually comes from God. That's why it's spiritual. But I am of the flesh. And now it raises this whole question is, what does it mean, I am of the flesh? A lot of people think that that has sexual connotations, and it can, but it doesn't in this passage. It's getting back again to the old nature that he's talked about, you know, really into a lot of detail earlier, that we basically, by nature, we are sinful people. And that is our flesh. He goes into more detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And he says that we're the opposite of spiritual. We're unspiritual. We're like infants. We're carnal. We're, you know, we're, we're children that haven't grown up. And we cannot handle the problems that God has put before us. We're in a big, big bind. Now, some people struggle with this because in the writing here, it does appear that Paul is talking about himself as having given his life to Christ. He's saying, I, you know, he's presenting himself essentially in context as a follower of Christ who is now having trouble in this area. And people struggle with this. They say, is he a believer or isn't he a believer? Um, since the time of Augustine and, and the Reformation, if you know anything about theology, the general belief is that he was, he was a believer who was struggling. And we know through life that people that are believers do struggle. So that seems to be the prevailing view, but there are a lot of people on the other side that really are smart people who disagree, and they, and they wrestle a little bit with this. It comes out the same, really, in the end. Um, but the, the one verse that really captures them is this verse where it says that we're sold under sin. And we say, well, if we're free from sin, if we've died to the sin, and if we've died to law, then how can we still sin. We've got to be really careful here because some people go so far as to say, now that I'm a Christian, I don't sin anymore. That's called perfectionism. You've got to be careful of that because really the person who says they're, uh, they're perfect has already proven themselves imperfect, right? Because who's perfect? And if we look at life, people fall short all the time. So we've got to be careful of that. But there is a little bit of a balance here, and, and so we don't know for sure, but I really believe that he, he did know the Lord, um, and I think that we have to be careful not to make too much of colorful analogies. You know, we built too much theology on colorful analogies. Paul has already said a little bit earlier, he says, I'm telling you some of this stuff, you have limitations, so I'm giving you these analogies, as we saw back in chapter 6, because you, don't, you can't understand the transcendent um, God. God is so big and incomprehensible. I'm using, I'm using human terms to try to help you understand. So let's understand that, for example, earlier Paul said that we were slaves to sin and now we're slaves to righteousness, but you can still serve the wrong master. Even though you're now under God, you can still choose to serve the old master. Paul says that we now have become, we're married to Christ, he is our husband, but you can still choose to commit adultery. And the very fact that sin leads to death means that sin is still in us. And so there's still a problem here. It's interesting that um, the, the uh, people of Paul's day, Paul, of course, was a rabbi, and a prevailing view among the rabbis of this very era was the rabbis taught that there are two uh, impulses that people have in life. One impulse is evil, and one impulse is good. Evil is something that's somewhat dormant, but it's there from the time you're born. 
good is something that is developed when uh, a, a young boy becomes a student of the law or a son of the law because he completes his studies from the synagogue when he's 13. And from that point on, the two fight for master in your life, good or evil, good or evil. And do you know what the rabbi said you're supposed to do? Study the law, all the more add to it if you have to, meditate on it, and just work, work, work to get rid of it. That's why when we, went, when we went to Israel, we saw Orthodox Jews everywhere. They were just praying all the time. I mean, it's just like they didn't do anything except read their Bibles and pray and try to, try to somehow win themselves into heaven. But Paul is radically different than that. He will show us again and again it's about a relationship with the living God. That's what he's talking about here. But there is this tension that seems to take place. I think perhaps it's best to understand the flesh as our sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. Exactly how it works, I don't know, but it was certainly activated with Adam and Eve, and it would have been activated if we were in their place. And the sin nature is within us, and God will come to live inside us, and he lives right in the middle of it, and he washes everything out, and he moves it all aside, and he's there. And now we have the opportunity to listen to him. He is there 24-7. We have access to the throne of God the God of the universe. And we have his grace and his mercy and his love and his guidance and his direction in life and we know that we'll go to heaven. But in the meantime, we still have a choice as to whether we're going to listen and follow that or whether we're going to fall back on the old nature. And Paul says that if he tries to live the Christian life according to the old nature, what happens? It's futile. He tries so hard and he always, always falls short. And it's, it's very frustrating. And he blames the problem. He says, the problem is sin. And it almost sounds like the old comedian Flip Wilson who used to say, the devil made me do it. Remember that? The devil made me do it. It's not the devil that's making you doing it, but it's sin is within him. He's saying, I'm born with this sin nature, and my natural propensity is to do sin. Unless I choose to follow God, and I try, even if I try to do good on my own, even if I know God and I try to do good on my own, it's not going to happen. I have to be lined up with God or I'm going to fall short and I am going to get so frustrated and it's going to be really hard for me. I find this to be one of the most comforting verses in Scripture. It really is for me. I remember when I first encountered it when I was early in college and had recently committed my life to Christ. And you know why it was comforting to me? Because... My hero, one of my heroes, was Paul. And I wanted to be like Paul. And I tried to model myself after Paul, and I always fell short. And I found that even when I had my own standards, I always fell short of my own standards. I could get pretty frustrated. And then I discovered that Paul couldn't meet his standards. I discovered that Paul was a sinner like me, that Paul, even as a follower of Christ, had struggles in his walk with Jesus Christ, that he still stumbled that he still got off track. And I thought, hey, wait a minute. He's like me. I'm not abnormal, but I'm normal. That's the, that's the experience that we have in Christ because we still have this, this fallen part of us that we wrestle with. And we can have the joy and peace when we walk with God, but we have to make that determined effort to do so. And so before you become a Christian... You know, you can't do this at all, but once you come to know Christ, God will guide you as you work with him, but you can still fall short. You can still, you know, even, even after you know Christ and even after you're walking with him, you will regularly trip up. 
But when you trip up, you can get back with him. You can get right with him. And you can work it out. It's all about a relationship. It's all about communicating with him. So what it comes down to is before Christ, we are sinful beings in need of a savior. And afterward, we are all sinful beings dependent on a savior. God wants us to be dependent on him. That's all we're talking about here. You try to, try to live the Christian life on your own, and you're not going to do it. You live it with him, it's a whole different ballgame. And that's where God wants to lead us. So he leads us in his last area, and we serve God with our minds, but sin with our flesh. So he says, he reviews it. He goes, you know, the law, I want to do the law, but I find on my own there's this sin in me. I'm, I'm not doing it. But I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In my inner being is a little bit vague, but it seems to almost relate to, you know, like his conscience, you know, in his heart. I think even an unbeliever in their heart really wants to do what's right. They want to be good in some way. And he says, you know, I, I know this is right and this is what I want. And he says, but I still have this civil war going on beside, inside of me. So how do I resolve the civil war of wanting and trying to do right and still doing wrong? How do I resolve that? And more importantly, he says, how do I resolve the death that it ends up in? He says, wretched man that I am, how, how am I going to get out of this body of death? I mean, this, this all lead, my life is a futile life that ends in death. How do, I, how do I win this battle within my soul? And he says, God will win it for me. God has won it for me through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. And if I recognize him as Jesus Christ, my Lord, and I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and I recognize that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, and I recognize that he's Lord and I bow the knee to him, then I have the relationship with him and I know that I will one day go and live with him in heaven. So this death is not the end. This death is the beginning of a new life. And when I have that new life, I will no longer have this condition. That's the victory, is there will be a day when this condition will no longer exist anymore when you are in heaven. And that's the best news. But there's some other news that he has for us. And that is that the battle on earth is won in the mind. I serve God with my mind. I serve the flesh. Um, when I, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So while we're here on earth, we have the power within us that raised Jesus from the dead but we need to tap into it. It's nothing magical. It's just talking to God. It's just making sure you're talking to him regularly. It's making sure that you're in communication um, with the God of the universe. And, and that's really where God wants us to be. But it's a choice you make to communicate with him. We make choices all the time. You make a choice whether you're going to get up or stay in bed. You make a choice whether you're going to get the baby or let him scream. You make a choice whether you're going to uh, eat or whether you're going to starve, whether you're going to be kind or whether you're going to be cruel, whether you're going to follow the Lord or whether you're going to follow the flesh. And put it this way, when you follow the law, it's a relationship. You know, you're, it's not a law. When you follow the law, you're going through like a manual trying to determine what you're going to do. But when you follow Christ, it's about this relationship. And it kind of covers it all. We got together with some friends last night we hadn't seen for a long time, and they were over our house and visiting us. And we didn't sit there and open up manuals and say, okay, let me see. This is what I'm going to say. What are you going to say? This is, you know, that's kind of, that's living by the law. We just talked. It was fluid. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be bogged down. You just talk to the living God. And you meditate on him, and you grow in a relationship with him. Um, you listen to him you know, through reading his Bible and listen to what he's saying in your heart, you talk to him 
which is prayer. You confess when you've done something wrong. You get things right. You get, fall off the horse. You get back on the horse again. You meditate on him. You do what he calls you to do, and you grow in your relationship with him. And God takes care of the rest. So let's take a look at this in terms of some applications. First of all, recognizing sin. The primary purpose of the law is to define sin for us. Um, And if you have not come into a relationship with Christ, I encourage you to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and come into a relationship with him. If you know Jesus, you still have the propensity to sin. You still have the sin nature in you, and there's going to be certain things that are going to trip you up. Everybody in this room has something they're bent on. There's some sin that pulls on you, maybe a couple that pulls on you more than they do me, and some things that bother me more than they do you. I was memorizing and, and even meditating recently on Exodus 20, on the Ten Commandments. That'd be a good place to go. It really helped me. You go to that, and you look at the Ten Commandments, and you go through them, and people will say, well, I don't murder, but Jesus will say later on the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, but do you get angry? Do you have an anger problem? People will say with adultery, well, I don't commit adultery. Yeah, but do you have problems with pornography? Uh, so each of these, look at them honestly and say, what are the things that are behind them? And do I have problems with these things? Once you identify them, you pray about them. Pray for deliverance from them. Come and get help from others who have God working in them that they can help you work through some of these problems. The second thing is, is give it up. It's time to give up stressing over perfection. Because you're just never going to get there. You're never going to be adequate. You're never going to be good enough. We place way too much pressure on ourselves to try to be the people that we cannot be. We were talking about this even today. We were talking about punctuality versus those that are on island time. You know, remember we were talking, I was talking to Coons about that. But you know, the, the idea is, is no matter how hard you try to always be on time, you will not always be on time. Our friend's gotten a, a traffic jam. That happens. It's impossible to always be on time, but it's impossible for other people to always be on time. We hate to admit that we're sick. We don't want to be weak. I never get sick, but we do get sick. Everybody in this room will get sick. Everybody in this room will die. It just, it is what it is. You're not perfect. You can't stress over these things all the time. I mean, you can if you want to. You will have bad thoughts in your minds. You, they're going to come. And you're going to have to deal with those. I mean, all these different things we talk about, other people are going to have the same problems. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. And it's not just that we're sinners. It's just who we are. Sin is who we are. Other than being made in the image of God, there's nothing good in us. So the key is accepting this fact and then going right to God and Confessing. You know, confessing means just to tell back somebody, say, this is what I've done wrong. It just means admitting it. Admitting that, hey, I, I'm blowing it. And then repentance means to turn around and go the other way. God has already forgiven you. It's a communication with him. It's just, God, I'm sorry. I know you've forgiven me. I've blown it. Help me get back on the horse again. Help me get past it. So he doesn't want you to live guilty lives. If you stew on it and you don't deal with it, it'll get you. But if you admit it right away, take it to God and say, God, I'm sorry. And then you just move right on. And you just keep going. It's a relationship. You talk to him throughout the day. You tell him what you've done wrong. You thank him that he's forgiven you. You get back on the horse and you just keep going. 
And if it happens again, you do the same thing, just like you would interact with other people in this room. You talk to the God of the universe and you walk with him. And don't make it so complicated and don't make it so hard. Don't stress yourself out. Don't guilt yourself out. Just talk to him like you would your closest friend and companion and walk through everything with him as part of life. And then the last thing is choose to follow Christ. After conquering the promised land, the aged general Joshua gathered all the people together and he gave one last great speech. And he talked about how there was going to be a temptation for them to follow the ways of the land that they had conquered, but that they should continue to follow God. And he ended it with this this great statement. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. And to our knowledge, his family did that for the rest of his life, which wasn't very long. I don't think he lived very long afterwards, but they hung in there for a while. They were able to sustain that. But it's, it's impossible to do that perfectly on our own, and we can't do that without God but we can do that if we're in relationship with him. And so the key is your mind. What do you set your mind on? What are the things that you most think about through the day? How much is God a part of it? Do you think about God being there with you when you watch that movie? Or when you're online? Is he always with you? Are you always communicating with him? When you're in a conversation with somebody else, is he in the room too? How much is your mind connected with God? Do you talk to him all the time? Do you set aside special time with him just to spend time talking and learning from the Bible from him and getting to know him every day? Do you have other friends that have a relationship with him that really comfort and encourage and support you? Do you you're saved to serve. Do you, do you live for him? Are you selfish and just keep this a secret to yourself or do you share this with other people, the 8 to 15 people in your life that don't know God or don't go to church and bring them here so that they too can experience this victory in their lives? And as you walk with God, you'll have that victory. There will be times when, you know, if, if you, once you come to know the Lord, you'll be doing well with God, but you'll sometimes find that you've tripped up and you've just sort of naturally slipped back into your own ways and you haven't been talking to God is what it really amounts to. You haven't been in communication with him. You've been trying to do it on your own, not allowing him to do it through you. And when you get there, you just basically say, I'm sorry, and go right back to the the way that you should. And you go back to the victorious Christian life. So we're born with nothing good in us. The only thing good about us, we could say, is we're made in the image of God. But then the Spirit of God comes to actually live inside of us. Pretty cool. We're still sinners, but he now lives in us. Will we choose to live according to our sinful nature? Or will we choose to live according to the Spirit of God? I guess you can say, it's all in your mind. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would have our minds set on you and follow your direction so that we can live victorious lives and when we trip up that we wouldn't feel bad, we'd just realize even Paul did that, even Peter did that, that's normal. Uh, but we would just simply turn back to you and make sure we're talking to you and working through the situation and doing whatever we need to do to resolve it and just kind of move on and, and grow in our relationship with you so that we can live victorious Christian lives and have the, the joy of walking close to you and living according to your will and being um, your servants. We thank you so much for saving us 
and giving us the privilege to serve you, enabling us to do it. And thank you, Lord, that one day when we're in heaven, we'll no longer have to deal uh, with our sinful nature. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.